Welcome, crime and mystery fans. This is Writer Types. My name is Eric Beatner, and with me is my getaway driver, S.W. Loudon. Steve, tell the folks who's on the show. Today, author Stephen Mac Jones tells us his first thoughts when he found out he was going to be on the show. Yep, I'm going to win awards with this. And best-selling duo Nikki French speaks to us all the way from England. And that's very important, so we're as far away from each other as we can possibly be. And we get a visit from our resident reviewers, and you get a chance to name an upcoming book. But first, Steve, have you read anything good lately? You know, Eric, between the Long Dance podcast and The Staircase on Netflix, I've been spending a lot of time in North Carolina lately, which <laughs> which technically wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for all of the gruesome true crime details that those two shows have been giving me. Uh, but I have managed to read a couple of books, including Give Me Your Hand by Megan Abbott, oh. who was our first guest ever on this podcast. That's right. And I also read Jane Doe by Victoria Helen Stone, who will be uh, one of our guests in August. And these are very different books, but they are both excellent psychological thrillers. I mean, Give Me Your Hand is a story about a dark secret between two high school friends that comes back to haunt them about a decade later, while Jane Doe is about a sociopath who is plotting an elaborate revenge for her best friend's death. And I gotta tell you, I tore through both of them, and now I find myself slipping down a sort of psychological thriller rabbit hole, which as a reader is actually a really great feeling to find a new niche of books that you're gonna start reading. How about you, Eric? Well, first, would you plot an elaborate uh, revenge in the event of my death? Yeah, it depends on whether or not I was the one who murdered you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned the Long Dance podcast, because obviously people listening to us uh, are podcast fans. And if you like true crime, that that is the one to check out. But the things that I've been reading lately, I've been going back to some authors uh, who I've read before and have read a lot of their stuff. I uh, just read Gale Force, Owen Laukinen's uh, new book, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Tugboat Thriller. Tugboat Thriller. thriller. <laughs> I read uh, what is, I think, my 15th uh, Ken Bruin novel and and just it can't go wrong. And I, it just made me think of the authors that that you like every single thing that they've ever written. I love having those kind of writers on my shelf, like just, you know, looking behind me here, it's like guys like Alan Guthrie or... John Rector, Steve Brewer, these people that just, it's a guarantee that you're gonna love this read. And I love having a stable of writers like that on my shelf. Well, speaking of books that I really enjoyed, first up in the studio is Stephen Mac Jones. His award-winning debut, August Snow, is set in his hometown of Detroit. We started by asking him if it was true that the inspiration for his novel came while he was out mowing the lawn. That is absolutely true. I was just mowing the lawn, and you know that that's just zen with power tools. And uh, two words settled on my mind, August and snow. You know, I laughed it off because, you know, come on, doesn't snow in August. And then those words stayed with me. They stuck on my brain like, you know, like thistles. I started to worry that I only had two options. One was to seek therapy, uh, or two, to write a story around those words. Stephen, can you please fly out to California, mow my lawn, 
and give me all the ideas that pop into your head? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of a dicey proposition, but uh, we'll give it a go. Well, congratulations on winning the Hammett Award for August Snow, and we know you're a big Dashiell Hammett fan, so, I mean, tell us, what, what does winning that award mean to you? I'm still processing what, what it means. The moment was just surreal. It was just wonderful. I don't think any of us writes a novel or a screenplay with the thought of, yep, I'm going to win awards with this. We're just trying to tell the best story that we can and entertain and inform and move people. Uh, that, that's the job. Plus, so it's, be- really, it's really cool looking. <laughs> can you describe it for us? Oh, yeah, man. It's, um, it's bronze, and it is based on... Hammett's the thin man, but the head is a falcon. Huh? Very cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. We've nicknamed it Dash. (laughs) It's good that while you're still processing winning the award, you've already given it a nickname. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) See, I have to do things like that because I have a very simple mind. So (laughs) there's nothing complicated about me. Okay, be honest. If you win the Seamus Award, which you are also nominated for, uh, are you just going to recycle your Hammond Award speech? You know, it's funny because uh, I don't remember what I said, so it'll be kind of hard to recycle. I I think I said words, (laughs) and I believe they were English words. Beyond that, I was just a blubbering mess. One of the best things about August Snow is the many ways in which the story brings the city of Detroit to life. Do you think that this story could have been set anywhere else? No. Well, maybe the basic story could translate to any other city, but uh, each city has its own personality. Detroit is not the personality of Los Angeles or New York. It's its own entity and it it affects, it affects people in its own unique way. So that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. No, that's definitely a solid answer. I I would go with that. Yeah. So, I mean, tell us, Stephen, what's one popular misconception about Detroit that just drives you crazy? Well, you want me to nail that down from a million (laughs) <laughs> um, that it's it's all hard scrapple rag and bone and it isn't there's a lot of beauty in Detroit and that beauty is growing and emerging every day the second novel in the August Snow series Lives Laid Away is due out in January how many conversations did you have with your publisher about naming it something more thematic like September rain. Oh, God, I wish you hadn't asked that question. (laughs) Um, You know how it goes, Steve. You know, you have the perfect title in mind, and your publisher says, this is not the perfect title. And and I love my publisher. I love Soho. But 
it finally came down to me saying, listen, guys, you can name it August Goes Fishing. <laughs> um, let, let's just figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love that Stephen brought up the writer's struggle with book titles. Uh, that is a common occurrence. And Steve, we currently have a unique problem on our hands. What could that possibly be, Eric? Author Laura McHugh, writer of the truly remarkable novels The Weight of Blood and Arrowwood, has a dilemma. So we have her on the line right now. Laura, what's the problem and how can we help? Thanks for having me on here to help me out. I need to come up with a title for my third book. I'm in the last round of edits and I have a working title and they just said they don't think it's really working that well. So it's, it's a non-working title. So you're... It's a non-working title. It's not working well. So I need to come up with a bunch of suggestions to throw at them. I wonder though, uh, in looking at your previous two books, if part of the problem here is that the weight of blood is such an unbelievably awesome <laughs> title for a book. That are you trying to top yourself? Is that part of what's going on here? <laughs> they did not like the weight of blood for the what? title. What? At all. At all. That might be it. one of my favorite book titles ever. No, they, they hated it. I think it was because they were afraid people would see blood and just think it's a gory book or something. It's really blood like family, but you know, there's also plenty of murder in there and that sort of thing. With the first two books, I had a working title. And they said, this title is not good. We need something else. Can you come up with, you know, several dozen more title ideas? And we ended up running out of time and going back to the working title both times. Can you give us a, a brief sketch of the book to uh, inspire people to come up with uh, titles for you? Yes. Uh, so it's set in this small rural farming community that's been ravaged by the opioid epidemic. Mm. And the main character... In the beginning, she's reeling from the sudden and unexpected death, unexplained death of her brother. And as this is starting at the beginning of the book, a child's skull is found in the woods. And so as Sadie, the main character, is digging in, trying to find out what happened to her brother, she starts to suspect that he might be the one who murdered the child in the woods. So the book is kind of about, you know, it's about family and those secrets we keep to protect each other. And how well can you truly know the ones you love? And that's kind of just a nutshell description. So so it's a, a light romp is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like all my work, it's very you know, um, there's a lot of, you know, shady, morally ambiguous characters in here. It's a small town showing the gritty underside. Well, okay, this is what we can do to help you, Laura, is we can call on our writer types listeners to find us on Twitter at writer types and give us your suggestions for the title of Laura's new book. And on the off chance that someone comes up with something good, <laughs> which which is remote, I know. <laughs> Will you what? Uh, thank them in the uh, acknowledgments. Uh, send them a free book. What do you think? Absolutely, I will send them a first edition signed hardcover when it comes out. I will thank them in the acknowledgments. Absolutely, name a pet after them. I don't know. I would be very <laughs> grateful. Very grateful. So you heard it here, folks. Get over to Twitter at Writer Types and send us your title suggestions with the hashtag NameLaura'sBook. And you could win a signed copy and bookshelf immortality. I actually think, Eric, that our listeners are up for this challenge. <laughs> I hope so. 
I'm just racking my brain and I, everything I come up with sounds really stupid to me now. Like every <laughs> single idea I have sounds terrible. Let's go put our thinking caps on. We, we can, we can take care of this for you, Laura. Rest easy. We got this. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Eric, I, I don't know about you, but I actually do struggle with naming my books. Is that a problem that you've had? I don't know if I struggle with it, but it's definitely something that you you put a lot of time and effort in. And when one clicks in, I always feel like, oh, yep, I know when it's right. And and I've I feel like I've had good luck. I, I actually look back at some of my titles and I go, oh, hey, that, that's actually not half bad. I find that my default is that I generally go to a song title and I'm trying to get away from that. But that is where I usually start when I write a book is there's a song that I have in mind. The trick is to pick really obscure song titles so people don't associate it with a song, but you know secretly in the back of your head. That's why my next book is called Hotel California. <laughs> we are in the thick of the summer reading season and we don't want you to stress out about what to read next. Well, one of the services we provide here at Writer Types, Steve, is to bring our resident book reviewers, the Malmans, so you don't have to make up your mind on anything ever. That's that's what we want for listeners. So let's go live to the Malmans on vacation, Eric. All right, Malmans, uh, welcome. And I, I hear you guys are on vacation. Are you you're you're in the islands? Where are you? We're we're in scenic southeastern Wisconsin. Beautiful. Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin. Oh, that's oh, nice man. too. I, yeah. I could listen to you say the word Sheboygan all day long. <laughs> I was hornswoggled. Uh, I was told it was beautiful downtown Burbank, uh, but I got beautiful downtown Sheboygan. Yeah, so Shanghai to Sheboygan, the new cozy <laughs> series from the Malmans. Exactly. We have you guys here to talk about some exciting new books that you read. Kate, I want to start with you this time. You are going to be talking about Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. And yeah. before we start, I thought we had all agreed no more book titles with the word girl. Oh, right. I, who, this is a bad connection. I got to go, guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is exciting for me, though, because this is one of those rare instances of a a book and an author that I have never heard of before. So I'm excited to hear what you thought about it, Kate. Same here. I had never heard of Amy Stewart prior to walking through a local, local bookstore. And honestly, I bought the book for the cover. Oh. And it's totally paid off. It's the story of the first female deputy sheriff in the country, or one of the first. Her name is Constance Cop. And Stewart was doing some research for one of her previous books, and she read about this run-in that some guy had with Constance Cop and her two sisters, where the guy hit their buggy with his car. And she tried to get her money to pay for the buggy and was harassed and her family was threatened and they were like, there were arson attempts on their home. So Stuart just took a you know, poetic license with what happened between that buggy and car crash and when she became sheriff and just imagined what happened in between. And it's great. Um, Constance Cop is a great new protag. She's super tenacious has a very strong sense of what's right right, and what's wrong and is like constantly trying to do what's right and make sure that this guy pays for what he owes. If your last name is Cop, is there any other career path for you than the one she took? Okay, since we are in Wisconsin, there is a custard place called Cops, K-O-P-P-S, which is spelled the same way as, as the protag. 
So she either was custard or law enforcement. <laughs> right. I mean, like fate will tell you those are the right. two career paths you have available <laughs> to you. Yes. Yes. Well, I think the real lesson here, Steve, is do not get in between a woman and her buggy. <laughs> <laughs> Bad things happen. But now, Dan, okay, you are uh, jumping in with a book that we know all too well. Tell us about uh, your your read for this month. Absolutely. Um, and first of all, I'm going to um, give thanks uh, that my name is not Dan Sanitation. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> I was uh, a very lucky guy. I um, had a, a very early advanced copy of uh, Potter's Field by Rob Hart. Before you get to it, Dan, I just want to give you an out here. I mean, Rob obviously is a friend of the show. He was he was on very recently. We're all excited. But it's okay. You can be honest if you didn't like it. Just just lay it out for us. Be brutal. Be frank. If you hated it, it's really okay. Dude studies Krav Maga. <laughs> uh, I I am small. So I'm going to say I really, really like this book. <laughs> There's a lesson to your authors. It's the, physical intimidation is a great way to get a good review. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I really, really like this book. I've been um, a big proponent of the um, Ash McKenna series since um, New York. Um, New York absolutely knocked me out of the water. And I think the thing that I really keep coming back to is that Hart married the idea of Ash McKenna, New York City, like a Batman and Gotham City vibe right from the go. And I was all in and I was wrapped up and I was ready for this ongoing Jack Reacher type escapade. But then at the end of it, he's got the nerve to turn Batman into Kane from Kung Fu and send him out hopping from city to city. And I was totally incredulous. I'm like, how can you do that? Because you can't have in my mind Ash without New York. And Son of a Gun made it work. And now with Potter's Field, um, he's sending Batman back home. I, I really, really hold this series in, in high regard. And I think fans are going to just totally dig it. So you're you're happy with the ending of the series, so we're not going to have any kind of awkward Kathy Bates misery kind of thing happening. I think in my case, it would be like one of those um, little framing hammers. I can't hold a sledgehammer. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Go, go after his pinky toe, maybe not his Absolutely. <laughs> It's funny, though, that in the course of this conversation, you went from being afraid of his Krav Maga to saying that you're going to hammer him in BowserCon. So I can't wait for that conversation. A framing hammer. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> well, Steve, would you ever in a million years co-write a book with your wife? You know, Eric, I actually would because I love my wife, but she would never in a million years do anything <laughs> like that with me. And I think that's the better answer to the question. How about you? Would you write with your wife? Uh, no, ne never going to happen. That would uh, be a surefire way to see me sleeping on the couch for six months. But that is exactly what our next guests, Nikki Gerard and Sean French, have done. And they've done it dozens of times. They write together under the name Nikki French, and their work includes the popular Frida Klein series, which has just come to a conclusion with their new novel, Day of the Dead. Well, the two took a break from plotting their next book to chat with us from their home in the English countryside. Well, one of them was in the home. The other one was in a shed in the backyard. It'll <laughs> all make sense in a second. You two write as a duo, and we're going to skip the typical questions about how that works and who writes what and everything. And we're going to get right to the meat of it. 
Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> uh, we want you to tell us what it's like when you disagree about something in the book. <laughs> well, do you know, the, one of the things is, I think, that, I think quite a few people think that we must be incredibly mature people and really, you know, have this perfect, peaceful marriage. And we just, we're like everyone else. We, we squabble and shout. And See, that's not true. He's not yeah. telling it. So what happens is I shout and squabble. <laughs> and Sean goes very silent and disappointed in me. So that's, that's how we deal with it. With great maturity. However, when we get to the writing, we spend lots of time together planning. And then there's lots of back and forth and arguing and fighting our corner. And then what, actually, I'll tell you one way we deal with it is that we don't write sitting in the same room together. So I write in an attic room and Sean writes in a shed. And that's very important. So we're as far away from each other as we can possibly be. Sean, how exactly did you get banished to the shed? <laughs> it's a nice well, shed, I tell you. <laughs> and the times when, when Nikki has looked at my writing process, that's actually when we have an argument, because we write, we have very different styles. I, I work in complete chaos. And Nikki's very, very organized. And I'm incredibly, I mean, if I'm sitting at writing, and like a bird flies past the window, I have to get up and look at it. Whereas Can I say, this is absolutely true. There was one day we did write in the same room, only one day in the whole of our writing career. And in the first like hour, Sean had made many, many cups of coffee. It was very nice of him. And he'd made plans for lunch and for supper. And he got up to try and identify birds. And the final straw was when he said we should, he had this really good idea that we should learn Russian together. At that point, I moved out of the room. So, wow. Eric, ju just to, to summarize, in, in our relationship, you're Nikki and I'm Sean. Oh, really? <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Your new book, Day of the Dead, uh, this is a continuation of your Frida Klein series, which started with uh, Blue Monday and has worked its way through every day of the week in, in your yeah. book titles. Did you ever think of just ending the series once you hit Sunday? Well, <laughs> that would be too obvious. Well, that would be what we thought, because we thought, because it was days of the week, it would be too, yeah, as Nikki said, it would be too obvious to be seven, so we'll make it eight. But you know, that was, of course, really stupid as well, because when we, fin we finished Sunday on a real cliffhanger, and we got these really uh, angry letters from readers saying, you know, if you, you know, assuming that it ended on Sunday, and think, you know, if I'd realised it was going to end like this, I would never have read it at all. So we immediately had to say, no, 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 there's another book to come, you know. So, <laughs> so we're being too clever for our own good. And you managed to sneak the word day in the title, at yes. least. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to do that. But now you, you feel confident that you've told all of Frida's story and, and you're, you're confident in, in where you left it? We feel absolutely confident that we have left it and that this is the end of Frida's story. And I mean, there are quite a lot of readers who write to us saying, oh, you know, Frida should stay. But we always knew it was an eight day week. And we always knew that she'd had enough of a bad time and we had to somehow let her go. Many of your books have been described as psychological thrillers. What does that description mean to the two of you? I guess what we never have been interested in is the kind of thriller that's about kind of 10 days to, to save the world, or kind of bomb about to go off. But we just are interested more in intimate dread and in what happens when extraordinary things happen to ordinary people, what happens inside them as well as outside them. So it's that kind of internal kind of feeling that gets unlocked by crime. To us, what's frightening is that we're always about two or three steps from something terrible happening. Just, just making the wrong choice. In fact, some of our books, they almost began as something like a rom-com. But, <laughs> but then we often talk about the idea that our characters 
they don't know they're in a thriller. They don't want, and they don't want to be in a thriller. But then circumstances go wrong. One example, we wrote one of our books, uh, a book, The Secret Smile, was about someone who's in a brief relationship, this, this woman, with a, who's having a fling with someone. And then she decides to break off with him. And he just won't go. He says, I'm not, no, he's not going to leave her life. Now, that's a, actually, that's like the starting point for a kind of, you know, rom-com with Matthew yeah. McConaughey or something. People talk about normal life. We don't think that anybody is normal. We think that all of us, we're going around kind of pretending to be normal. We've got this kind of controlled surface. And underneath it, we're all these maelstroms of strange and inadmissible emotions. And that's what we're interested in tapping into, that kind of what lies beneath that ordered surface. Wow. So in your daily interactions with people, are you uh, sort of a naturally suspicious person? You're kind of eyeballing everyone, <laughs> wondering what lurks beneath? Well, you know, I always think that every, you know, some people ask where you get your ideas. And one thing, if you live in a family, any family, you've got enough material for a lifetime of <laughs> psychological thrillers. And I think about having relationships with anybody is the more you know them, the more mysterious people become. Well, it's good that you banished into the shed so you could preserve <laughs> that mystery in your relationship. <laughs> so I guess the natural question here would be, how many of your family members have accused you of writing about specific things that happened in real life? Well, there was one book that we wrote where we did this. It was about a teenager going missing. And the narrator was the mother. And halfway through the book, she does this thing which you must not do as a parent. Which she goes into her daughter's room and goes through it, kind of rifles through all her secrets, trying to find out where she might have got to. And what we did for that, we did go into one of our one of our very messy daughter's rooms, and we just stood well, in the room. Well, she was at school. Well, she, she wasn't there. <laughs> and we wrote down every single thing that we could see in the room and just put it straight into the book. Just. <sighs> Damn. Did you guys put money aside for therapy after that? <laughs> I didn't think she realized it was her. You guys are both avid runners, and I know that I love to get on my bike and ride and use that time to work through plot points in my stories. Do you guys use your running time in a similar way? More things like running, or for me, even more than running, I swim a lot. I wild swim a lot. And it's, it's more getting away from everything, getting away from myself, that just kind of going into this different world where you don't think about plots or anything, you're kind of saying some kind of free world. But what we've always found is actually the really the important ideas come when you're not expecting, they'll just come absolutely out of left field and that's a strange yeah. thing. Yeah, the worst, the worst way of thinking of ideas is to sit opposite each other at a table and say, okay, what's next? And then <laughs> think, there's nothing. Well, you guys both, you steadfastly won't reveal who writes what yeah. part of the books. That is true. So we want to know, are there other <laughs> secrets to your writing process that uh, we should know about? Secrets. I write everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scoop. We got them. <laughs> Sorry, Sean, you've, you've been outed. No, no, but that's a, really, that's a really good question. When we say that we don't reveal who wrote what, that is absolutely, we keep to that 100%. We've never even told our children, not one sentence, because... It's like a real superstition and rule. There must be. They're yeah. so secret, they're even secret from us. <laughs> Eric, I guess this is probably as good a time as any to ask, are there any secrets you're keeping from me? 
Uh, a, a lot of them, yeah. But I think the, the you know the biggest secret that we keep from our writer types uh, listeners is that we don't tell anybody which voice is which. So uh, I could be Steve. I could be Eric right now. We don't really know, do we? Or am I Steve and Eric right now? Or are we really just one person <laughs> switching right. voices? Yeah, that would this, be has been, this has been the incredible ruse of our, our uh, two writing careers. Is <laughs> we created this podcast to let people know that we're actually one person. The sad thing is the real secret is that we're also authors. I think <laughs> that would be a surprise to a lot of people. And it is a closely held secret, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> Well, another episode is over too fast, but we can't leave, Steve, without announcing the winner of our latest book giveaway. Last episode, we were inspired by Ronald Colby's book, Night Driver, published by our friends at Rare Bird Books. So we challenged you to tell us the strangest thing that ever happened to you in a cab. And oh boy, we got some wild stories and we want to thank everyone who shared, but there's one that stood out a little bit above the rest. And this wild ride came to us courtesy of our winner, Jennifer Warner. And she wrote, and I quote now, was in London and took a cab home. Halfway there, the cabbie says, hang on, swings the tightest U-turn ever, races down the street, stops at a house, goes in, drags out a guy who was having sex with his wife, beats him up, gets back in the cab and takes us to the pub for a pint. <laughs> yeah. That is one hell of a ride. And uh, I had a moment when I read that where I was like, that is pure fiction. And I honestly don't want to know if it's true or not, because that <laughs> is an amazing taxi cab story. So congratulations to Jennifer. Look out for your signed copy of Night Driver from Ronald Colby. And it will be arriving by taxi to your door very soon. Well, that's it, Steve. Summer's almost over already. Another episode in the can. What did we learn? Laura McHugh taught us that even the most successful authors sometimes need help. And co-authors Nikki French taught us that it's not a bad thing when your wife banishes you to the shed. In fact, it's probably your own fault. If you're not subscribing, you should be. If you're not following us on Twitter, you should be. And if you aren't telling your friends about writer types, what is wrong with you? This show is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. For more on Steve's books, visit swloudon.com. And for more on Eric's books, go to ericbeatner.com. Thanks for listening. 